Hi, this is Eric Chase, a host at Cumulus Media Toledo, and also your host for 68 Words, presented by the Ability Center. Welcome to episode number two, where our guest is the Inclusion Strategy Coordinator for the Toledo Zoo. There are few that know the zoo and where it's going more than Kevin Fong, as the TSA alum has spent over half his life with one of the gems of our area. I'm 25 now, and I started volunteering at the zoo when I was 13. So really I've been with the zoo for 12 years, but even before that, my mom worked um, with the summer camps. Even eight-year-old Kevin was running around the zoo and, and learning about what it meant to be a zookeeper and what it meant to be on education and just really every single department. We have sensory bags. You know, th that's a huge proponent that we heard from a lot of folks um, and even from a lot of zoos that they've seen success with. Parents hate it whenever I've, I've, I've talked with them and they're looking to get a pet for their child, I normally tell them, get a snake. People, places, and spaces doing disability differently, sharing first-hand experience in our podcast. Inspired by the 68 words that sparked the disability rights movement, learn where it started and what's next. Hi, my name is Stuart James, and I'm the executive director here at the Ability Center, and welcome to 68 Words. My name is Kevin Fong. I'm the inclusion strategy coordinator for the Toledo Zoo. Uh, my whole job is all about inclusion, but it falls within the realm of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. Uh, access is one of the large ones. I think for a lot of organizations, it's still diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, but I know at least for us at the zoo, a, a big part of our mission is to make sure that access is within that. And that just happens to be where a majority of my background is in, is in disability studies and disability justice and making sure that everybody has, um, you know, their own ability to advocate for themselves and become the best person that they can see imagined for themselves, reach that full potential that they have. And the zoo absolutely has to be one of the most accessible places um, in any city because there are so many visitors that come through. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's not like a small business or a restaurant. You're talking... I know you can't give off secret zoo info, but do you have any idea how many people come through the zoo in a year? You know, I, it changes and fluctuates, and I think definitely getting out of COVID now, we, we've seen a huge influx of people. I don't know if I could put a number to it, um, but I can talk about how it's not just people from Toledo. I mean, sure. obviously Toledo is, is, is our main emphasis on who we want to have come in, but there have been so many times where I've run into people from... Uh, Detroit or Indianapolis, uh, you know, people come in from all over the place just because I think we, you know, I might be a little biased, but I think we do have one of the best zoos, uh, you know, in America as a whole. And so I think people latch onto that and they want to make that trip. I've even seen a couple of international folks um, that have come in and they were just in Toledo and they're like, yeah, this was something that we, we heard ha was a have to do when they were visiting. So folks from Japan or Europe, um, they've come in and I've had some some fun interactions to learn a little bit more about what zoos are like internationally and it, how that compares to it what go, we have. It goes to show that those those kind of cheeky end of year lists or whenever the lists come out that we're on the uh, the top five zoos in the country. And I think we keep losing out to one in, in Cincinnati, but we, we land second. Uh, they, they mean, they're, they're very cheeky and kind of hokey, but they mean something because that spreads the word and lets somebody in Boise or Sacramento, if they're in the area, that there is more here to do. In fact, I'm kind of curious to ask some friends in the region if when they think of Toledo, they only think of mud hens or the zoo anymore, which is fine. But in the last five to 10 years, there's been so much growth that you can come to the zoo and still spend the whole weekend here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's been cool to see. I, I've been with the zoo for quite some time, like a really, really long time. And, and it's been cool to see the same sort of growth with the zoo itself and a lot of the programs that they've started to, to develop and um, more of the community outreach aspect. So you know, we love it when people come to the zoo, but what more can we do for the community that we live within? We want to cultivate something that's important and, and help the next generation of, of people get interested in what animal conservation or even plant conservation is going to be for that matter. So uh, it's been cool to see the same that as Toledo's grown, so is the zoo. Absolutely. I love when I see some zoo friends out, uh, Jeep Fest, when that happens in a, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you've got a marketing team or a, a community team that's out there. And I always ask, did you bring the poop? <laughs> Uh, it is, uh, what is it? it, is frozen dried poop from some of the animals, and then we have to guess which, which animal the poop came from. I've never even heard of this game. Really? Is this a brand new... I've, I've known it for years now. Absolutely. I am not making this up. You can now ask the team. They, they have five kinds of poop, 
And the only one I can always usually identify is the one that is probably from a wolf because I look at my dog's poop way too much. <laughs> I'm like, that's clearly from the wolf. But um, no, you have a great outreach team that's doing things like that. You said you've been with the zoo for a long time. Can we go back to the very beginning to the to, to baby Kevin, the origin oh, story of how you uh, walk me through your, your young years, your teenage years, and, and wound up at the zoo? Yeah, so I'm 25 now, and I started volunteering at the zoo when I was 13. So really, I've been with the zoo for 12 years. But even before that, my mom worked um, with the summer camps. It was, uh, it was, I think it was her job to help create what the summer camps were going to look like. So even eight-year-old Kevin was running around the zoo and, and learning about what it meant to be a zookeeper and what it meant to be on education and just really every single department. I think that's one of the uh, largest things that a lot of people don't know is that the zoo itself is sort of like a city. There's just so sure. many different jobs that are that are going around. You can meet somebody new every single time that you visit. Um, so I was, I was exposed to that at a really young age, but uh, 13 was really when I started to work at the zoo as a volunteer. So we have a zoo team program, ages 13 to 18, for you know youth to come out and sort of get that hands-on experience. A lot of the people that come in, since we are a zoo, want to get uh, into the realm of zookeepers or vet tech, um, something to do with animals. But because they offer so many other different opportunities, I think people always tend to gravitate towards something new. Um, I think that's one of the benefits of hands-on experience is that the more that you try, you know, the more that you can start to latch on and see yourself in that career more than even just sitting in a classroom and learning about those jobs. Um, so the Zoo Team program offers a ton of different opportunities through community outreach with our metro parks, cutting down invasive species, planting native species, um, with our Wild Toledo uh, initiative. Uh, so we even have teens that go out and track turtles to see what the patterns are in, in terms of their, their movement and where they're going and where, where the breeding uh, grounds for all those so that way you can better conserve those, those areas. Um, but even just general community outreach. So we have done a ton of work with um, Josina Lot, now Manahan, um, Autism Academy of Learning, uh, Sunshine Children's Home. So we, we try to have a plethora of options that are really steered by the zoo teams themselves. You know, they come up with the initiatives to say, hey, this is something that I want to help out with. Bill and Liz, who run the volunteer program, are pretty good about it. They're like, yeah, okay, cool. You gave us the plan. We'll, we'll make sure that it gets you know, it gets enacted so that way you can go out and gain that experience. And that's, that's something that's incredibly beneficial. I, I know a lot of friends that I've still stayed in touch with that were also zoo teens with me that have, you know, it, it's really hard to put a number on the experience that you gain from that program. And it just pays off in its, in its own right throughout, you know, your entire life. So it, lessons that I've learned uh, throughout that program, even 13 to 18, and then sort of just sticking around afterwards has have still been something that have impacted me greatly. And I can still see that happening with the current generation of zoo teens that are in. My brain is trying to put itself back together. As <laughs> I prepared for, for our chat, um, I just tried to dig up some stuff on you. It's, it's what I do. Okay. I, am, I am an over-preparer outside of the <laughs> wonderful list that our, our executive producer, Mallory, Mallory, created for me. And I, I like anything, I had a vision in my head of who or what Kevin Fong is. And then the first thing that popped up when I saw you was you were born in 97. Yeah, 97. Which, which is the year I graduated high school. Um, and then you came in here and... I was not expecting the 25-year-old Kevin to look like you do. You are very <laughs> refined and cordial and presentable. And now I can understand how someone who is relatively young has such an important high-level job at the zoo. You have been there a long, long time. You know some of the secrets that you can't share here. And by no means am I uh, trying to denigrate your age or anything um, because you're utterly fascinating and terribly thorough and interesting with all that you know about the zoo. So again, I thank you for being here. And how did your role come about? Was Because this is a relatively new role, right? Oh, yeah. This is this is brand new. And, and for a lot of companies, I think they're still looking to um, delve their feet into the world of diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. Um, it was something that was brought to light and found to be extremely important for any organization to realize that you know, there are things that we can be doing to be better. How can we better include people? How can we um, understand the world of equity and understanding that not everybody has the same, you know, level to their start? 
how can we close that gap? Um, and then for us as a zoo, access, that's a huge part of it, making sure that once we have all these different programs, all these different opportunities, that it is really accessible to everyone of any ability, any race, any ethnicity, gender, all everything that falls within that, we want to make sure that that, that, that is accessible to everybody. Um, so to go back, so I've been with the zoo forever. I think it's one of the things that when you work for the zoo, when you first start working for the zoo, it's really hard to leave. There have been plenty of times where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go get a new job elsewhere and I'm going to start this new career path. And then for some, whatever reason, the zoo always says, come back, come back, come back. And it's, I mean, it's a great place to be. Sure. So, you know, I wouldn't, Fate has led me to work at the zoo and lead me into this position, and I don't think I would have it any other way. Um, but to give some more background on to where this position started to come from. So um, f two years before this year, so starting the p year of the pandemic, 2020, I, I took a new position at the zoo, um, the volunteer accessibility supervisor. That wasn't a new role, but uh, the volunteer accessibility supervisor oversees accommodations within the volunteer program, specifically the zoo team program, so our, our ages 13 to 18. Um, it started even way back when. Uh, this program started out as a uh, special needs advocate and partner program to allow accommodations for people with disabilities to come in and volunteer and work alongside peer support partners. Um, as the years went on and we saw a lot of positivity from the folks that were involved with it and the peer support partners uh, just started to grow and grow and grow and grow and to the point where the Ability Center actually stepped in to say, hey, what would you need in order to support more people coming in to gain this experience? Um, and staffing was one of the huge things. So the Ability Center actually stepped in to help supply uh, staff and pay for that staff to come in and sort of oversee the scheduling and just the general accommodations that occurred. Uh, that continued to grow and grow and grow from 2017 to 2020 when I stepped in. Um, and it was still special needs advocate and partner program, but I think there was a larger emphasis on, you know, reaching the potential that it could have been. You know, 13 to 18 for anybody at any age is an incredibly moldable age that you're at. What you learn at that point you really do take with you the rest of your life. At a certain point, I don't know when it is, but 21, 22, you start to like be set in stone and that's what you want to do. You understand um, a majority of what goes on around you. So it, our thinking was when I came in in 2020, what can we do for this young generation, the next generation? You know, I'm a part of Gen Z and I think they're now a part, I think it's iGen, I think is, is the name of their generation. I've heard that one used, yeah. But, you know, they're up and coming and I, I think for a lot of teenagers, they get... They get a bad rep. You know, I think everybody focuses on the negative that they're still learning the world. But at the same time, you know, 13 to 18 years into, into what it means to be a human being on planet Earth, they have a far stronger grasp on what that is than any of us give us, you know, any, any adults give credit to them for. Um, so our idea coming in was to change SNAP to ADAPT, Advocates for Disabilities and Partners Team. Make it more of an advocacy program because everybody that's coming in is going to have these dreams, these aspirations. They're still so young that, you know, what they want for their future is still obtainable because they have all those years until they can get to that point where they, you know, it's a point of no return. Like this, this needs to be my job. Mm -hmm. um, so what we wanted to do was make it a goal oriented program. You know, a lot of a lot of these individuals that are coming in are going to have IEPs and ISPs throughout their life. And. You know, something throughout my career as a job coach over at Manahan, um, and then just seeing within the schools, I, a lot of the people that were having those ISPs, IEPs made for them, they weren't involved in those discussions. And that seemed incredibly odd to me because who are we to determine what is going to be best for an individual when they themselves are going to know them the best? Even a parent or a friend that's been with them forever. You know, you're not going to fully understand the perspective of one individual, um, you know, regardless of how well you think that you know them. They're going to be the ones that know them the best. So with ADAPT, what we wanted to change was make it goal-oriented so that way the individuals that are coming in understand that process and how to become advocates for themselves to say, hey, this is what I feel is going to be best for me. That way, in those meetings, it's not completely foreign to them. They can understand the entire process. And... Um, you know, seeing a lot of benefit from that. 
So at the time of 2020, the program had sort of died down a little bit because of COVID. Um, you know, everybody was taking the right precautions. We wanted to make sure that those that didn't feel comfortable going out into the public at that point still had that opportunity of some sort of capacity. So we only had uh, about 23 students in the year of 2020 in ADAPT um, with about 10 to 12 peer support partners. Um, a little background on peer support partners. Uh, I keep dropping the word. They call themselves P PSPs. Um, so there are other zoo teams that have gone through the same training that the staff have gone through in order to supply accommodations and help understand uh, how to create obtainable goals for individuals. Um, they go through the same training to then become peer support partners, work alongside those that have asked for accommodations uh, so that way they can help them achieve the best case scenario for themselves, help them reach that full potential. What are some of those goals and outlines that they um, throw out there on their own behalf and so that they can achieve specific goals? Sure. So some of the most common ones that we see, and this isn't uncommon for anybody else at that age, uh, is that they just want to be more comfortable with public speaking. Mm. I, I was every, like everybody <laughs> at every age. Yeah, I was incredibly nervous at age 13 uh, to, to talk to the public, especially at the zoo. So, you know, we see a lot of folks that say they want to um, they want to improve their public speaking. Some of them come in and, and they could be more major. They want to have a long term plan that we then, you know, three steps over three years will achieve one step at a time. If you if you go beyond that, then sure, that's something that you have set for yourself. Um, so a lot of times it is wanting to work independently. They don't want to have a peer support partner. And that is, you know, pretty much our entire goal with the program as a whole. We want everybody to reach that case of independency, what they determine as independency for themselves. Um, you know, for that first year, we had 23 individuals that came through and we saw about eight of them go independent. But then the next year, 2021, when everybody was starting to feel a little more comfortable, come back out, uh, we jumped out to maybe about 43 individuals that were in ADAPT, and 18 to 20 of them went independent. And that was, that was incredible to see, to have people come through and realize what they're fully capable of, um, you know, start to schedule themselves, start to get out of their, their comfort shell and start to talk with their other peers uh, and really just hit the ground running with everything that we gave them. They took a lot of that learning, again, because they're, they're at such a moldable age that if you give them the tools, they'll figure it out um, more than, you know, the, the regular way that anybody else would see it. They're, they're pretty intuitive. They're, they're creative with everything. You know, something that's been set in stone for the past 20 years could be improved, and they're not afraid to do that. And, and that's been pretty incredible to see. How can kids uh, get involved in the teen program and then – uh, and a sub-level to that in, involved in ADAPT. So for anybody that's interested in becoming a zoo teen, there is a recruitment period. So around the beginning of the year, January, February, uh, they hold uh, information sessions. If you want to get information on those information sessions, just contact the volunteer department. 2045 is their extension off of the normal zoo number. Uh, just tell them that you're interested and they'll put you on a, on a wait list. Um, wait list just being waiting until the information sessions come out. There's no cap on how many people can come to the information sessions. Uh, but if you're interested, go to those information sessions. You'll learn more about the process of becoming a zoo teen. Uh, you'll actually gain an application. Now, that is a little daunting. Uh, for a lot of people at those ages, we do require an application to be submitted and then an interview. Uh, but don't get too nervous. Everybody's done it. Everybody's you know, tends to succeed unless they're there because they said that they want their mom wanted them to be there. It's the only thing. Does you know, everybody get in? Uh, you know, it, it depends. Um, so there's there hasn't really been a cap on how many zoo teens that we have. Again, because that comes into the process of if they want to work. Technically, we find the work all the time. You know, it's a volunteer program. Um, they're putting in the time rather than us giving the money, um, and they're more than happy to do that. The amount of Good. teens that that want to get involved in scoop poop for free is, is insurmountable. Um, so, you know, most of the time we have everybody that comes in and uh, that's, that is a little secret. So I'll let that out. But the majority of the people that do apply, that do interview, Good. they get in. Because we realize for a lot of 13 year olds that are coming in, that's going to be their first interview ever. And the nerves are probably, you know, their hands are getting sweaty. They might get the butterflies in their stomach. But 
you know, we make that process as uh, easy as possible. So typically in your interview are other zoo teens. So it's not full-fledged adults that are asking right. these daunting questions. There's normally a zoo team that they can bounce off of. You had told me there were uh, several, several hundred kids in, in the zoo in the uh, zine zoo teen program. Mm-hmm. We're back up to around 500 this year. Yeah, that's that's sort of where the number is. Uh, it fluctuates. So they, we do just have a summer program, um, but it can also extend year round. So the amount of people that we lose for the year round, you know, obviously band camp, theater, sports, we're going to lose a couple of people. Sure. That's going to be what their interest is. But for those that do love volunteering and, and want more um, experience in any capacity that they want, whether it's on zoo grounds or off zoo grounds, uh, we offer that. So right now we're probably around 450 to 550. Um, and then during the off grounds, uh, off year, uh, so the year round program that typically ends up being close to about 180, 200 folks that, that still stick around. I'll ask one more question about this and sure. then we'll slide over to some more, uh, accessibility, uh, things that are involved with the zoo, which I believe are also under your insight and guys. Um, how many Kevin Fongs are there? Uh, you're extremely fortunate to work for such a, a great place. I'm sure you asked yourself this and not so in, in so many words or not, like, why would I leave here? So how many kids, now, adults of whatever age were, were like you that started at your age and are still there at the zoo. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of zookeepers that were former zoo teens. Good. Um, I think I'm trying to think elsewhere. You know, we have a, we have a pretty robust alumni system. Um, every, every year, every, every December, we always have the zoo teen alumni event. So we have a lot of folks that come in. So not necessarily where we're at the zoo. I mean, again, we do have a lot of zookeepers that were former zoo teens, a lot of people that still work in park operations that were former zoo teens. Um, so the answer is not zero. There's not zero. Good. Yeah. Good. There's, there's a good number of folks good. that have decided that, you know what, we're going to stick around, but you know, obviously different paths of life, different sure. perspectives are going to lead people to different places. Um, so those that have sort of uh, left Toledo for college or whatever job it may be, they're still out there um, either involved in zoos or uh, just general advocacy programs. So there, there's a lot of cool people that you can meet. There's, there's a couple of artists that are pretty well well known. Um, I'm blanking on their names, but he came in to do a whole program with the zoo teens to talk about his art, because uh, I believe it was at the Toledo Museum of Art for, for a quick little exhibit. But it's a lot of people, Good. a lot of connections. It's, it's, it's a one huge cohort that people, if they have an interest and they want to dive further, then typically we can call somebody up and it, say, hey, you mind talking to this zoo teen? Because they have, they have the same path. Um, you know, they can, they can offer some pretty good guidance. It sounds like an incredible program and you sitting right there doing what you do shows the excellence of it. And if somebody were to scoff at having one job their entire life, uh, that person would need to ask themselves, wow, maybe they work for an incredible place. And I should be quite envious of that because that's a, that's a big thing these days. People disliking where they work, who they work for. And to say that you've done one thing your whole life shows off what an incredible work environment it is. Oh, sure. Yeah. It, and I think that's why it always pulls people back in. And I, you know, one of the jokes that I always, and it can't really be too much of a joke because it, it, it holds true. So one of the things that we always said is, you know, uh, our jobs are great in the volunteer department because the people that want to work are the ones that choose to show up. They're not getting paid. So they are there fully committed because they want to make a difference. Again, whether that's on grounds or off grounds, you know, conservation or community service or, or impacting people's lives to give them the tools that they have learned in that program and then pass it along. So something yeah. that I, I try to preach to because the industry that I'm in has eroded over the last 15 years, but I stick with it. I evolve, I adapt. Um, and something that, that I try to pass along is what these kids seem to be learning. Um, what your salary is, is going to be objective. You need to make a certain amount to make ends meet, sure. but filling that, that balloon, uh, that bucket of purpose is often different for each person, but sure. it is often in many ways far more important once the money part is taken care of. Uh, we probably both know plenty of people who, who do very well, but they're kind of like zombies during their work mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, and I, I try to preach, look, the money will take care of itself and you hope you, can, you, you have enough that you need. Um, but to have that purpose, to know that you've made a difference, and it sounds so hokey and cliche, but... Filling, fulfilling that purpose is a challenge for a lot of people, and I'm glad that the zoo seems to be teaching these kids to figure it out for themselves. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, it, it, it's incredibly beneficial, um, especially when whenever we invited somebody to uh, reach that independency when they got to that point. That was that was incredibly fulfilling, and not because you offered the tools, but because you were able to see somebody's dreams actualized. You know, whatever part that you had to play in that, it it can't be bought. Money can't buy that. Mm, yeah, you know? it's not at incredibly all. rare to find and. Um, it's not too rare to find at the zoo, which is nice. Sounds like it. Uh, let's let's make a hard left turn here, and, and but ask a very simple question: How has the zoo gotten more accessible in recent years and under your watch? Sure. So I didn't wrap up the present of talking about zoo teens all too well, but uh, you know, in that position as volunteer accessibility supervisor, the realization of having to make the, mo- the zoo more accessible, whether that be through physical accessibility, but also programming for people with sensory disabilities. You know, we are a very sensory rich area. We realize that, you know, if you come on a Monday when it's really, really hot and there's the smell of food and the smell of animals and we're just packed and there's people all over the place, it can be pretty overwhelming. It's overwhelming Mm -hmm. for myself sometimes. Um, So they actually gave me the opportunity uh, within the zoo to help realize what would be beneficial for people. And the zoo teens were actually a big part of that, the Ability Center as well. Um, and then we had our own disability uh, advisory council come in to actually provide some input from the perspective of parents, um, visitors, guests, you know, to help actualize what the vision of accessibility is for the Toledo Zoo. Uh, so we're always trying to improve now and sort of spearheaded what that looks like. But our current accessibility options that we have, you can actually find on our website. Uh, we have an accessibility page now. So if you type in Toledo Zoo Accessibility, that will bring up the entire web page and everything that we have. That will be constantly updated when we start to add new programs, um, new opportunities, you name it. Keep an eye on that. Probably month to month that'll change. You know, we have a huge plan. Uh, Sooner or later we'll be releasing what uh, a three to five year accessibility program is going to be. I don't want to spill the beans too yet, but there are some cool things in there. But at least what we have right now um, that is available. We have sensory bags. You know, th- that's a huge proponent that we heard from a lot of folks um, and even from a lot of zoos that they've seen success with. You know, within these sensory bags, we have uh, headphones um, that can cut out a lot of the excessive noise. We have cooling fans, um, stress squeezies, uh, different sensory tools that can help somebody hyperfixate on that one specific uh, sensory input to help regulate what they may be um, encountering. Uh, we also have a new app that released this year. I was incredibly excited about that. That's what we spent a majority of last year creating is a Toledo Zoo for All. You can find that on the Apple Play Store and the Google Play Store. Uh, Toledo Zoo for All, if you download it, it has a ton of great resources, social narratives to help prepare somebody to uh, come to the zoo. We have a social narrative for every single zoo exhibit that we have. And then any exhibit that we release in the future will also gain a social narrative. Um, schedules, tips and tricks on when to visit the zoo at low sensory hours. Um, who can you who can you contact in order to learn more a little bit about accommodations? And that typically leads them back to me. So I'm always happy to talk to people uh, whenever they're trying to plan their zoo visit. Um, but one of the other things that we, we helped develop was sighted guide tours um, with the uh, Deaf Center of Northwest Ohio, they actually helped us out um, with developing what a docent program is going to look like. Uh, so we've had a couple throughout this year, um, and those have been incredibly successful. You know, anybody who is blind or has low vision, um, they're able to come out and still experience the zoo, uh, you know, in a meaningful way. So our sighted guides, uh, they'll typically carry around uh, a bag of what is called biofacts. So whether that be uh, skulls, um, animal hides, anything that has been able to incorporate that sensory touch experience for somebody that can't see visually, you know, we wanted to have that a part of that. They're all trained in proper physical guiding, but also audiovisual description. How can we describe the polar bear exhibit to somebody that can't see it in front of them? Um, but that's where the biofacts come in. So if they're seeing, you know, if polar bears are in front of them but they can't see it. We can take a polar bear foot or, you know, an example of a polar bear foot so that way they can feel what a polar bear would be like and sort of gain that, that sense of scale with size. Mm-hmm. Um, those have been, those have been uh, pretty awesome to hear the feedback that we've had. We actually had somebody come from New York uh, to take part in that sighted guide tour, and they said it was a one-of-a-kind experience, something that they had never experienced at any museum or zoo, and they've, 
traveled the world, and that was pretty awesome to see and, and, and cool to uh, pass along to the to the tour guide that, that, that they had. So Another reason why we are on those very hokey, cheeky lists, yes. best zoo in the country. <laughs> yes. it's, it's the little things like that. Everybody yeah. can have animals. We all, most of us love animals of all kinds, but it's the little things like that that makes our zoo what it is, not just here, but in the region, in the country, and as you alluded to, in the world. Mm-hmm. You have answered most of the questions I was supposed to ask you and beyond. <laughs> Thank you. Well, happy to do it. Um, you, I could only imagine you're a wonderful talker. I enjoy listening to you. Um, so if any of the kids who get into the, the Zootine program who want to improve their public speaking, you pull them aside and let them get some of your vibe and they will be off and running. Well, I, I, I'm around in their building all the time. So it's always it's always fun to see them and, and share sort of that alumni connection and of helping them realize what those potential uh, activities within the Zootine program. Um, let's jump to the really, really challenging questions. Sure. We're probably going to zip up. What are some new events and exhibits coming? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so Kodiak Ridge is coming up. That should be opening in spring of 2023. The summer's flown by, so I can't yeah. imagine, you know, that it'll feel like waking up tomorrow and it'll be open. But that'll be, that'll be incredibly um, awesome to see. Uh, bears are one of our most... Um, I guess they have very strong personalities, uh, especially Dodge. Whenever I've gone over there with with other zoo teams or just for tour groups, um, it seems like the bears are always pretty active and putting on a um, you know show for everybody else. Dodge used to hang out in a bathtub um, and would seriously lounge in the bathtub and have a, like a fountain going over them. And people love that. Um, so ha- letting them have a brand new exhibit will be will be awesome to see, and there will be a lot of guests. Um, interactability for people coming through that program. Uh, that'll be awesome. Twilight Thursdays are something that we've started I'm up. Familiar with it. I just read about it last week, and I yeah. uh, for a moment there was so much going on, I misread that it was dollar beers. Incorrect. <laughs> it's dollar off beers. Yeah. But it looks like a great time. If you can throw me some insight on that, I'd love to know where that idea came from. Yeah, so we used to have something called Wild Wednesdays, and that mm-hmm. saw a lot of popularity to it. Um, you know, I think it also extended the hours for anybody that was looking for more low sensory hours. You know, the crowds are still there, but it's not as intense as they are throughout the normal day. Um, plus, there's a lot of extra programming. So Twilight Thursdays was is, is just a build off of that. We realize people have different hours uh, that they work. You know, the typical Monday through Friday, uh, 10 to 5 opening isn't going to be as accessible to everybody, even on the weekends if we're mm-hmm. open. You know, sometimes people work on the weekends. So having that... Uh, you know, extra ability to come in at night when the animals are out and about. And it's a little cooler for everybody. It's a little quieter, um, but you still get to have the same experience. So there's a lot of the animal programming that goes on. Um, I believe that all starts at six o'clock. The snow leopards get a carcass. Um, so you can sort of see the enrichment in action. Um, but pretty much every half hour after the start of six o'clock, we'll have something available and it'll be on a schedule for people to see. Thursday through the end of August, right? Correct. That okay. is correct. Hopefully uh, it's not such a good idea that it turns into like a, a Saturday afternoon at the zoo. I, I am not concerned is the wrong word, but I am interested in my, my interest is peaked to see what the feedback is and the responses. Oh, you yeah. could, could have a very busy first few Thursday nights. You could. I, you know, our, our last one was last week, I believe. Um, I, I didn't get to, I was out of town, so I didn't get to see everything that was going on for that. But at least for this Thursday, I'm going to try to go out and see, see what all the, all the fuss is about. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Christmas in July happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- lights way before Christmas, a preview of that. Any new lights things you can talk about coming up? Not that I know of. Okay. Uh, the the tree being a moving tree now with mm-hmm. the lights all over the place, that was pretty cool. That was, yeah. that was a surprise. I think lights before Christmas tends to be a surprise for me as well, but... I think that adds to the theme. I agree. All those people who took their engagement photos will have to go back and take them again. Yes. (laughs) Um, It sounds like an an exciting place to work, and it's been a great conversation with you. Um, What does Kevin Fong do when he's not at work? When I'm not at work, well, oddly enough, still go to the zoo. It's one of the things I'll always visit and, uh, you know, go out. But outside of that, uh, it is trying to find inclusion for other programs that haven't been too accessible for other places. Uh, golf was something that had seen a huge impact um, and and growth into what that was uh, over the pandemic. But now there's a lot of programming that's out there 
to be more, for having golf to be more accessible for people. Um, there's a place called First Tee uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so I try to help them out as much uh, as possible. That is the next impact in Inspire, I believe, with ProMedica. Believe so. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right in this case. <laughs> I, I'll take your word for okay, it. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'd say in my free time, a lot of that is, is trying to find other programs to get involved with and try to help them find what inclusion is going to be. The brain never really shuts off, but when it's something as important as inclusion, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to turn that off. Um, to go back to the first third of our conversation, sure. when did the light go on or off or you had that aha moment that inclusion was so vitally important to you? You know, fairly later in my career than I, than I thought to. And again, 25. So I realized for a lot of people, I'm still extremely young. Um, with the teens, when I worked with them, they thought I was very like, old. They thought I was 55, 60, <laughs> and they believed it. And I know I have a lot of gray hair for a 25 year old, but they have no concept of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fairly late in, into my career, even in second grade, I helped out with, um, you know, disability studies, uh, helping out with the Special Olympics. And, and it was something that I had just always been involved in, whether it's social advocacy for any program. Um, it was something I did in my free time. And most of the time when you think of those hobbies or, or stuff that you do on, on the side, you don't really view it as a career path because it's that escape. It's, it's the ability to go elsewhere. Um, so I think for a lot of people my age and a little bit younger, it's, it's, it's hard to decide what you want to do. Um, I think it's incredibly silly to ask any 18-year-old to be like, hey, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Right. Just want to sleep uh, on Saturdays. It's incredibly overwhelming. What do, you, yes. what, what do you want to do? You have to ask yourself all that time. So I jumped from, oh my gosh, pre-med, uh, physical therapy, music therapy, jumped all over the place, culinary for, for even some time. And it wasn't until... Um, you know, I realized I didn't want to be in culinary that I went back to working at Manahan because it was a place that I had always volunteered, um, and had built up a lot of friendships with the people that reside there. So it was, it was extremely comfortable to supposed to be the job that I was going to find my footing and like what I wanted to do for the rest of rest of my life. So, um, when I was about 20 to 22, I was there as a job coach at their day facility. And that was, that was awesome to work with people that I had even grown up with and help them realize their own goals. Um, you know, it was, it was being there with, with best friends that I had made throughout my entire life. And, and now to be able to be a part of something as significant as that, as that, that was not humbling, but incredibly special. What's the, uh, what's the best advice you would offer to people universally speaking as a job coach? Uh, as a job coach, listen. Oh my gosh, listen, please listen. And then that's something that I've taken into even this new position as inclusion strategy coordinator. My thoughts, and yes, I've spent a lot of time in the realm of DEAI, but I'm only one perspective. And I can't create a vision for what it's going to look like for, you know, multiple generations for the future. You know, I have to hear what everybody else is saying and incorporate their words. You know, I can't do this without listening to other people. Um, and the same goes for, for being a job coach. And I think that goes back to adapt and wanting to change it. You know, more instead of creating these decisions for people that we feel are going to be best because we've built up an understanding of what it means to be a human being on this earth, you know, you still have to allow the programs that you're creating, the people that you're intending to reach out to, you need to, you need to listen to them. They need to have a seat at a table. They need to have the ability to advocate for themselves and what their human experience has been because that helps create it. The more diverse that we can be, and this, this holds true for really any standpoint of life, whether it be you know biodiversity on a biological standpoint, the most healthy... Um, you know, ecosystems that you see are incredibly diverse. And that holds true with people as well. Having all those diverse perspectives and truly including all of them at that seat of the table and, and making sure other people understand what other people's perspectives and their viewpoints are coming from and the access part, allowing everybody to be involved. Um, you know, you can't achieve that without listening and, and truly listen, not the, not the normal thing that I feel a lot of people default to where they 
say, yeah, uh-huh, okay. Listen, yeah, yeah. listen to speak. Yeah, and it's just going right out the other side of the ear and really taking it in. Anybody that knows me, I carry around a notebook with me, and I go through a notebook every single month, and it's because I'm writing down everybody's ideas. I want to incorporate them. You know, how can we create that vision that they have for themselves and make that a part of the bigger picture? Because yeah. the only way that people are going to truly feel involved and truly feel passionate about it is if you involve 68 Words has been a production of the Ability Center. Hosted by QBLS Media's Aaron Chase. Engineering provided by Will Mellon. And executive produced by Mallory Crooks. If you, your group, organization, or business is interested in hosting a disability awareness experience or have other inquiries, please contact info at abilitycenter.org. Until next time, think differently. This is a, it's a, it's a peeve of mine in interviews because I can be extremely literal. But I think your answer, which was said in all in that wonderful monologue was, uh, I, go, I went back to you in second grade, little Kevin, um, you live to serve. Something hit you at that point in your life where it made you feel good to help others. And you've continued that throughout your life. And for you to have said that you, you feel like you discovered some part of that so late in life, inside I was shaking my head because I feel like I discovered it too late in life where I was in my mid to late thirties when I needed to share more mental health advocacy and help people in that regard. Cause my Saturdays were not meant or were not spent volunteering, helping others. It was your pretty typical eighties, nineties kid thing, you know, go out and play sports on the weekend, things sure. like that. And I don't remember any time where my dad or parents took me to, to volunteer. So I am so gleeful that that hit you at such a young age and you fall through that with your entire life. And no, you are not deep into your career at all. You have been another 50 years <laughs> to continue yes. doing all of this. Yes. <laughs> and as long as you continue on this path, you're going to help so many people more than you could ever imagine. So thanks for everything. Well, thank you for having me, being able to share some of the accessibility programs that we have coming up. And it's, you know, it's an awesome opportunity. If you lose your book, uh, how quickly will you panic and go into a shake? Um, 30 seconds. <laughs> no, I, I, I have a whole bunch. So, um, typically I'll back them up too. So some of the notebooks that I have, you can take a picture and it'll, it'll back it up Smart. to a computer. Um, so, you know, there have been points where I've lost it and I have no idea what to do with my life. So <laughs> one of the reasons why I've enjoyed this, uh, this conversation, I think we're, we're both very analytical like that and, and observing and wanting to regurgitate ideas, whether make them better, or use them borrow them air quotes um i have the same in my notes app because my handwriting is awful yep. uh, if i carried a notebook <laughs> uh, i like to say there's a time limit after 30 minutes i can't remember or read what it is that i wrote <laughs> so every time i do some kind of update with my phone i'm like please if anything goes i just need the one oh, the one entry on my notes app <laughs> i i'm the same way i'm constantly taking things down um does anybody ever ask you what's what you're writing down uh not too many. I think they, they, they realize that I'm just writing down what they're repeating. So that way I have it in, in twofold where it's in my brain, but also writing it down. It helps reinforce it a little bit, but um, not too many folks. Sometimes okay. I joked with the teens that, you know, I was writing down demerits. So they have a yes. whole demerits. Yes. They'd get a good chuckle out of that. Um, yes, because they view you as basically a grandfather, right? Yeah, yeah. A, a disparity you know, in age. Well, and the worst part was we were leading out a training and then uh, one of... <laughs> one of one of the people that we had on staff at that point uh at the front of the train so i was at the back of the train they're like guys do you know how old kevin is and then they put it in their heads that i was 50 and they believed it i wasn't they didn't go like oh ha 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 yeah kevin's 50 no they're like oh yeah that's what i would have guessed and i was like well, are you guys serious they, <laughs> they have no idea to them to them 25 and 50 are about two years apart um Two final questions. Sure. Um, have you ever strolled the zoo very late at night? Was it eerie? And or are there any exhibits that kind of creep you out or animals that you just don't jive with? Hmm. I have walked around the zoo late at night. Um, it doesn't really creep me out. It's, it's incredibly peaceful, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so the animals, you can tend to see them. They're just kind of strolling around. They're doing their own business. Um, the zoo really doesn't close right when the zoo closes for the guests. You know, we still have um, programming, snooze programs. So uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, um, summer camps, et cetera, they can come through and they, they spend a night at the zoo. So, you know, you still get the 
occasional folks that are around. Um, our security team is incredible. They're there 24-7, so even if I have to walk around at night, um, you know, they're there. They make me feel comfortable. <laughs> that sounds um, like, a, like an ideal security job that I would do. Instead of watching boxes or whatnot, you get to watch the sleeping animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's, 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 it's a pretty good gig. And then uh, if there were any place that did creep me out when I was younger, um, the aquarium before the renovation, mm-hmm. a lot of the South Side are um, some of the oldest buildings in Toledo. They were built during the Works Progress Administration. So they were some of the first buildings, I believe, to even be erected for the Works Progress Administration. So the museum, the aquarium, um, the reptile house, uh, they've been there forever. Uh, fun fact, those are actually recycled bricks and materials that they used for that. So kind of folds into our mission statement of wanting to, to help conserve um, our natural world that we live in. Uh, but the aquarium at nighttime was kind of creeping. I think that just goes for any old building that you walk through. Sure. Um, yeah. I hadn't been to the zoo um, since COVID. Okay. And, and I, I love our zoo. I was very fortunate uh, with my, my regular job to have all kinds of events to do there. Mm-hmm. So I get to drive up to the back gate and you know do my thing and then go walk around for a bunch of time. But I hadn't been there up until um, a time in the beginning of the summertime. And a lot of things had changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, goats were, were no, the goats were no longer where they were. Um, they were right near the splash pad. And I would always go into... I called it the insectarium. <laughs> spiders, snakes, more spiders. What was that called? So I think it was called the arthropod room. Sounds right. Uh, yeah. So I would go in there, and I'm not afraid of pests as I used to be, mm-hmm. but I was always – and I tried to, try to push myself. You know, we all have our – whether they're irrational or rational fears. I thought being in there, it was a rational fear that if all this glass shatters – we're dead. We're dead. And because these are, these are terribly scary spiders, they can actually do damage. They're poisonous. But I would love the chills that I would get going into there. But I wasn't that disappointed last time I was there, the, the beginning of the summer, to see that that was the ProMedica Museum now. And there were a lot fewer things with a lot of legs. Yeah. So it, it, that room specifically has changed. So now that's uh, larger than life. So that's a walkthrough where we've taken some of those scary creatures that people are scared of, snakes. The snakes are still there. The snakes of, are still there. A lot of the um, spiders are gone. The spiders have the spiders have definitely moved. Um, Hall of Venom is upstairs, <laughs> uh, so you know it's a little harder to find everything that you wanted to. The you Hall can, of Venom. The Hall of Venom. It's called the Hall of Venom. It's actually pretty cool. It's one of my favorite areas. Okay. Uh, parents hate it whenever I've 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 talked with them and they're looking to get a pet for their child. I normally tell them get a snake. How come? Incredibly easy to take care of. Um, in low maintenance, um, the way that they digest food, you don't have to, you know, take, you don't have to give them constant attention every single day. Parents hate it when I tell them that corn snakes make great first pets. Um, you know, they kind of give me this eye that I'm like, I, I'm sorry, did you want me to say guinea pig? But right. you know, cats and dogs, they can they can sometimes be really really involved, and for somebody so young, uh, it can be really difficult to sort of upkeep with a lot of the responsibility. But snakes, they're cool. I have some friends with snakes. My best friend has a snake. I think she has a very old woman name, like Betsy or something. I'm sorry if we've offended any Betsies. Um, But it is a classic, timeless name like that. My issue with snakes would be feeding them because I would have a problem. Even though usually the rodent is no longer alive, and I I guess maybe even frozen, that at the animal lover in me, knowing what actually happens out in life, I realize that. But having to do it with my snake, it would be painful. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, some some forms of nature are, are definitely uh, people can be a little more squeamish to to some of the natural predator and prey. I'll be wary <laughs> if I go to uh, Twilight Thursdays that, that I will avoid the snow leopard carcass. Yeah, the snow leopards get a carcass, so <laughs> it's a form of enrichment. So enrichment is for anybody that uh, doesn't know. And how I describe it to kids is, I tell them, imagine you're in your room. Imagine we take away the TV, the video games, your phone, and all we leave you is with a window and maybe a glass of water, and we'll occasionally feed you. That's not a good time for anybody, and and, and unfortunately, a lot of zoos early in their days um, were like that. Uh, With the AZA and and making sure that animal behavior was much more closely related, we have somebody that's dedicated to animal behavior. Um, We have something called enrichment. So what it encourages is natural animal behavior for that animal, something that they would exhibit out in the wild, make it a little more interesting. 
Um, so for our polar bears, sometimes we'll put uh, fish in the middle of ice and they have to find a way to open up the ice brick so that way they can get to the fish. Um, but as you can imagine, large cats out in life, they're going to be eating carcasses. So uh, we give them a full carcass and they have to figure out how to sort of get to their favorite part. Sure. Is the best way to put it. But, you know, I encourage anybody that has an animal at home to find any form of enrichment. It's pretty easy. If you're ever visiting the zoo and talk to any of our education staff in nature's neighborhood, um, they have some really great ideas for enrichment for dogs or cats, um, even snakes. Uh, my my, do- my dogs, uh, now that we no longer live downtown where this, this isn't prevalent, they have plenty of forms of at least desired enrichment called rabbits yes. and squirrels. <laughs> and my two beagles are always on the hunt for them. And I was like, come on, boys. You know, now, when I go home and see them later on, I'll say, boys, I have enrichment for you. They are peanut butter treats, not squirrels. Uh, very, one last question. I would sure. be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Uh, put your job coach mind together with a uh, zoo employee. What's something that people overlook at the zoo? Um, over, whether it's a, a pathway around, uh, best time of, time of day to see an animal, just your zoo secret that isn't really a secret that everybody should know going to the zoo. Honestly, coming in on a day where it's lightly sprinkling, um, those are some of the best days to actually come and see the animals being fairly active. I don't know what it is, but... Uh, Every single time there's been a light drizzle or even just a light rain, um, you know, I realize not, that's not everybody's favorite thing. But bring an umbrella. You can bring an umbrella. Uh, the animals are always active on those days. I don't know if it's because it cools off a little bit, but... Um, Fewer people watching them, perhaps? You, yeah, that, that plays a part. Uh, but the dingoes are always out and active. I've seen the rhinoceros um, be way more active whenever it's, you know, sprinkling a little bit. Uh, so I'd say those are some of the best days to visit. Um, but even in the late afternoons, those can sometimes be really good. You know, most of the time that are coming, people are coming to the zoo around three or four o'clock. That tends to be when they start to filter out. Um, but definitely take advantage of those hours. There's sure. still a lot of cool things that are going on, especially during the summer. Um, I'd say our education department and then uh, you know park operations they do an incredible job when it comes to guest interaction and having those interaction points. There's always something going on, whether that be an animal demo where uh, kids or adults, because it's something cool to see as well, uh, you know, see if you can find a sign that says we're doing this at this hour. Uh, We tend to update those all the time. but we try to have something available at least every half hour. 68 Words has been a production of The Ability Center. Hosted by QBLS Media's Eric Chase. Engineering provided by Will Mellon. And executive produced by Mallory Crooks. If you, your group, organization, or business is interested in hosting a disability awareness experience or have other inquiries, please contact info at abilitycenter.org. Until next time, think differently.